the practices of yoga are designed to change the way that we interact with the world. So when we focus on them intensively, like in a teacher training, we tend to change pretty rapidly. Yet while the container of teacher training can feel incredibly transformational, it's hopefully only the beginning or a small part of a lifelong relationship with your yoga practice. My guest on the podcast today has been in this relationship with yoga for over 30 years. Chase Bossert is a longtime private student of Mr. TKV Desika Char. For six years, he was the director of education and therapy at the Healing Yoga Foundation in San Francisco. And in 2013, he founded the Yoga Well Institute, where he trains yoga therapists and teachers and also gives a wide range of ongoing classes. You'll hear more about his work at the Yoga Well Institute during this conversation, which centers around foundational questions for yoga teachers, including the different paths of yoga, what they all have in common and how they're different, the role of ancient texts in modern daily practice, the relationship between teaching and learning, and the importance of one-on-one instruction for progressing in your asana practice. You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, Chase. Thank you, Mado. Glad to be here. I'd love to start with a little bit of your story of how you found yoga and why you started teaching. You want the long version? You want the short version? (laughs) Well, let's start with the short version and I might have some follow-up questions. The short version was I was a disaffected young university student who was looking for philosophy classes to solve existential, why am I here on the planet and what am I doing in a body? kinds of problems. I went on a study abroad program to India. I really, you know, I threw a dart at the world map and basically India was a place I had not been, sounded interesting. And there was a lot of philosophy that I could do on the course. One of the classes in the study abroad program turned out to be taught by Mr. TKB Deshikachar, who is the son of Krishnamacharya. And he twice a week came in and just blew my mind. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. So are you telling me that you randomly ended up in a class with Jessica Char? Yeah, not just a class, but like a university level, like yoga theory for five months, twice a week for an hour and a quarter. And he's very slight and so humble and so normal. And of course, the leaders of the program were like, he's a really big deal. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. (laughs) I was like, I was 21. I didn't know any better. But he came in and the problem with with Western philosophy, non-religious Western philosophy, is that it's very descriptive. And then you get towards the end of the book or the end of the ideas and it's that's the end. It's like, and this is why there's a problem, full stop. And all of a sudden, here was a philosophy that was not only describing who I am and 
what my relationship to the world is, but critically, it gave the prescriptive. This is what you do about it. Train your attention. When you, once your attention has been trained, you use it to create these sorts of experiences that will help you to develop new patterns as those patterns become more dominant you will be transformed slowly over time you'll discover something inside you is the foundation of your very being and you cannot drive it's like whoa <laughs> whoa sign me up for more of this please I had one semester left in, at university. And when I graduated, I came straight back to India. And by some miracle, Mr. Deshikachar took me on as a private student. So over the next 20 years, I spent almost five in India studying with him one-on-one -on -one every day. And also, I lived in India for almost two years, in one stint of two years. And during that time, I was a teacher at his organization, the Krishmacharya Yoga Mandram. So I was given students, and then he or his senior students were guiding my teaching of them and whatnot, it's just by dumb luck, basically. So what it sounds like is that you entered yoga through philosophy, and maybe from there started practicing asana as well? Yeah, so my primary interest was why, and then it, it became clear that the how was meditation, and as I understood more about meditation, I realized that, oh, preparation is enormously important, and this is really what yoga is. Yoga is a meditation tradition, and if you look at the practices that it has mostly espoused for the past 2,000 years. It's really pranayama and meditation. Asana starts playing a more major role maybe a 1,000 years ago. So as part of this uh, class that I was in at, with my initial exposure to Mr. Deshikichar, we had an asana class, pranayama meditation class, twice a week at the Krishmachari Yoga Mantra. And on the one hand, I was getting all of these ideas about who you are why your life goes wrong and how to fix that. And on the other hand, I was being led in these practices that made me feel amazing. And that I noticed like, oh, wow, my, my whole demeanor is changing. And how I feel about the direction of my life is totally changing. And, you know, but definitely the the initial access point was the ideas, the the why and the and the how and and the whole practice element of it as like an embodied philosophy was something that I discovered as necessary afterwards. And what role do the ancient texts have in this ecosystem of philosophy and practice? What a great question. They're the guardrails. Yoga was not developed in California 20 years ago. <laughs> It has this very ancient and long history where practitioners have thought deeply about well, what is the meaning of practice and what is happening to me, and there's a, dis a description of it. So 
I think the piece that is really missing in the West or really in modern yoga is the meaning of practice. People go, they have fantastic experiences. They keep going. They see that their life is changing. And yet the why and the how of that is a little bit mysterious or a lot mysterious. And so then they start making up ideas or then they they go looking in other traditions, like they go looking in the Buddhist tradition or they go looking in neuroscience or they go looking in somatic psychology to try to explain, well, why is it that I do these exercises? And not only my body, but my whole life changes. And what the ancient texts do is they explain this is what we're doing and this is the goals and these are the important principles of doing that. And then that allows us to refine what we're doing in practice so that practice is actually truly practice, right? You know, I mean, we call yoga practice, we call like asana and pranayama sort of yoga practice, but I think for a lot of people, that word is is just something we use because a practice is actually something that you do to prepare for something else, right? And And indeed, that yoga is talking about how are you perceiving the events of your life and why? And then that applies for every moment of the day. It applies every moment you have consciousness, there is some sort of perception that is happening and your system is interpreting that and responding to it and what we're getting by practicing is we're having an opportunity to implement the principles in our bodies and in our breath and in our attention etc so that when we leave the mat or the cushion and we get into real life then we can still be implementing that when our family member is super aggravating or when our partner does the thing or you turn on the television and the political parties are whatever it is, right? So so having a knowledge of what the ancient texts are saying gives us these understanding of the principles that we're wanting to implement in our life and shows us how the actual practices of asana and pranayama etc are truly practicing for what's to come later in the day yoga is a description of a state of being in other words it's a description of the way that our body, mind, breath, behavior, emotions, function. And it's a little bit like trying to tell somebody who's never been in love what it's like to be in love while talking about like, well, physiologically, when you're lying next to them, this is what happens. Or when something happens and you're really in love with them, then this is how you will respond. Or, you know, like it's, it's a little bit like talking around the main event, right? So 
yoga as a way of being, as a state of our system, as a foundation for how we perceive and respond to the world is not a monopolized by yoga. I think all the religions are, are ways of how to get there. And I think there's lots of non-religious ways of getting there, etc. I think what yoga is, is a really excellent system, a really reliable system for developing that state in us. Yoga has a wonderful system for evaluating what's happening in me and what are my blocks and what can I do to loosen those blocks and to allow my heart and my mind to really be open and allow me to fulfill why I'm here on the planet. And I think the ancient texts are knowing what they have to say is critical in understanding that reliable, reproducible path. So we talk about yoga's ancient texts as if they were sort of a monolith, as if they all said the same thing. (laughs) True. Yeah. So I'm curious about, (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to get into some more specifics about what is it, if anything, that they all agree on and where is their variety and what can we maybe learn from the places where it's not exactly the same? Your question is really giving me chills, actually. It's so nicely worded. I think the common, the common denominator is samadhi and by that i mean the common denominator is a transcendent experience we become so involved in something that even our awareness that we are is transcendent so i don't think the mind stops I think the cessation of mind, et cetera, is a, is a misnomer. Definitely stillness is a value, but I don't think that mental activity stops. I think what stops is my identity. And then the different paths of yoga, say hakta yoga or raja yoga or bhakti yoga or laya yoga are emphasizing different access points into this transcendent state. So Patanjali's Yoga Sutra is a is the core text of the Yoga Darshana. It means uh, it's the core text of the philosophical presentation of how to operate in life. And its its main tool is the shape and quality of the mind. So we could say in very broad strokes that Patanjali's Yoga Sutra is a, or Raja Yoga is a psychological approach for entering into the state of yoga. And then Hakta Yoga, really emphasizing the tools of breathing and mudra, uh, not hand position, but mudra in the, in the sense of Jalandhara Bandha, Uddiyana and Mula Bandhas, 
Maha Mudra, which is a particular position like Janu Shirshasana, the headstand, shoulder stand, there's a few other stuff. So the Hatha Yoga is, again, emphasizing that if you do these practices with stillness as a value, then it can take you into this transcendent experience, which we're calling samadhi, but there are other words too. So we could say hatha yoga is a physiological approach to accessing a state of yoga, right? And then you would you would go into bhakti yoga, which is the yoga of devotion. And a great example of the text of that kind of text is the Bhagavad Gita. So Bhagavad Gita is talking about how do we understand the origin of our action. In other words, when you ask a question and I start to respond, where does that action arise up out of? Or let's say that my my daughter, I have a little daughter, she comes over and she um, jumps at me, then where does my response come from? And it's essentially arguing that there is a way of seeing everything in the world as a manifestation of the divine. And as you understand that and work with that and have more and more faith in that, it becomes obvious that your own actions are not of your own creating or initiating, and that they're either coming from your patterning or they're coming from some more authentic or unstructured origin within you, which is labeled God. So, Again, if you go through this process of watching where your your actions are arising from and you try to have the attitude that everything I do is a worship, um, so I wait for that authenticity or that divine instruction to arise before I follow it, etc., then this also will take you into that transcendent experience of samadhi, etc. But it's an a- it's accessing it through what might be called karma yoga, the yoga of action, etc. Right. So, just as an aside, this is such a different approach to dividing up different types of yoga than we have now in the West, which is like, well, these. 26th posture is done in this way is called this. And this, these postures done in that way is the first series and the second series, third series, whatever is called this. And, you know, it's all organized around the way that asana is being done. And traditionally, or for the past several thousand years, that would all pretty much fall under hatha yoga. And then you have these other ways of getting into the state of yoga as psychological through minding your mind and psychology. It's Raja Yoga, you know, devotion to a higher power and really making an attempt to let every action be of service, etc. It's Bhakti Yoga and devotional yoga, etc. But they're all organized around this idea of 
there is a way of being on the planet where the container, our body, minds, et cetera, is the implement and is the instrument for something moving through us, through it. And that's that's the common ground. And do you think it's important to choose a path or do you think it's more valuable to learn from all the paths? I love your questions. They're so good. I think it's more important to have a teacher. You know, the part of modern yoga practice that is really missing is one-to-one instruction. People got together for groups or things, sure, but the le- the level on which there's a group of any size is is limited. And those things are, you know, if you look at the way that the traditions of yoga have come down through the ages, it's one-to-one instruction. It's not any sort of big, broad, ranging thing. So I think you can have over the course of your lifetime of studying yoga, I think you can have different teachers and I think you can learn different things from those teachers. But I think it's really important to have a single teacher at a time. And for me, the major core of Mr. Deshikishar's teaching is one-to-one instruction, teacher-student teaching. You know, I mean, the word Vini Yoga means application. So he basically was saying, (laughs) what I'm teaching is how you modify the techniques to the individual, how um, you, you, you help the person to get the function of what they're doing by changing the technique, et cetera, so that they can experience it. And to me, that's, that's, that is what's missing. People go to group classes, they hear the instructions for the final end form, the idealized form of what different teachers think is supposed to be happening in a particular posture, et cetera. And then they try to do that themselves. And it's really an unusual practitioner who gets the step-by-step development of things with any efficiency over time. So let's talk about the impact that economics and capitalism have had on this specific type of yoga practice, because you're really having to limit yourself to people who are very well off already, relatively. Mm, Not necessarily. You know, if you think about a group class costing $15 or whatnot, uh, say $20, and let's say you go twice a week, there's $40. So two weeks is 80 bucks. Three weeks is 120 bucks. From By my experience, most people's private, a lot of people's fees for a private lesson are somewhere around $100. So if you have a yoga habit, <laughs> or if you have, if you are a serious practitioner and you're going a couple of times a week, et cetera, you know, uh, you're probably spending around $100 a month, something like that. And if you're studying one-on-one with a person, that's one class a month something like that. So I think they're reasonable. And I think there are some things that can be taught in a group. Like you can teach the principles. Like so for so at the yoga uh, at the Yoga Well Institute, what we do in our in our 
trainings, because we have group trainings, is everyone is required to have a personal mentor and to meet with them regularly. And then, of course, they're in the training. So they come to the training, they get the information, they get the general idea. We are explicitly providing continuums of techniques. Like we just don't say like, okay, here's the ideal. And we say, okay, so here's the ideal. And this is the purpose of what you want to get. And in order to attain that purpose, here are the ways that you would modify it, et cetera. And so we're giving the whole continuum of easy access to most difficult, et cetera. And then the person meets with their personal mentor and they get it. The personal mentor has experience of what is going on for that person in their, in their system and can see it and says, okay, well, we need to modify it like this. So we need to modify it like that, et cetera. On the other side of the coin, in terms of earning enough money to be a yoga teacher from one-on-one, I think just a matter of getting developing clientele. And the thing with being skilled at reading a body and understanding what's happening in a person's mind Etc. is that it's a very different set of skills than marketing <laughs> or relationship building or et cetera. So, you know, what I really ask our training, what we f- force people to do in our trainings is to do a functional group, which means that they, they pick a, a group of people that they're going to work with and they create eight week practice. And then they have to go into the community and make a contact with another organization that is serving that population and teach that eight-week course at least two consecutive times, not concurrently. So you're basically forcing people to go in and get a skill around a particular population, and you're also forcing them to make contacts and have some practice of what it is to like you know, be in another organization and whatnot. And the people that I see that really are able to do this and develop it as a profession, my experience is that all of them have been in some sort of location where they get a lot of one-on-one patients, either a hospital or a treatment center or sometimes it depends on the situation, but sometimes like a senior center, those kinds of things where you get a lot of people concurrently and then your contacts come out of that. You know, the economics are really part of each one of our own patterning. And some of us will just think it has to be hard no matter what we do. And some of us will think that just because of the patterning that we have, that it's an abundant universe and off I go and people are going to like what I have. And, you know, and I think actually trying to make a living out of it is a wonderful way of exposing what are our core beliefs around what is my level of responsibility in terms of nourishing myself or supporting myself materially. And, you know, as we go down, as we go down this uh, road, at the end of the day, from a yoga perspective, yes, you have to act. Yes, you have to do. And some things are beyond your control and they're beyond your, really even your ability. And, and this is one of them. 
if we we really learn to listen and follow, we'll get led into opportunities that allow us to be supported by the universe. But most of the time, that means dismantling some sort of pattern structure that is narrowing our, our, our world and keeping us from seeing the possibilities. You know, we don't even actually have teacher trainings anymore. We have practitioner trainings. I, I mean, at the Yoga Wellness Institute. And, and the reason for that is because in order to be a good teacher, you have to have experienced what it is that you're teaching. And, and I don't mean that you have to be able to do all the postures or that you have to have done all of the pranayama ratios or meditate, experience samadhi once a week. What I mean is, is that like you are actually working with the principles and watching how they play out in your body and your breath and your life. And as you do that, then you know where the shoe pinches for other people. And, you know, there's such a dearth of ways for people to be an ongoing student in yoga. Like it's, it basically boils down to you, you do the 200 hour and then you do the 300 hour and then you do the yoga therapist training and then you do workshops. That's such a shame because yoga is lifelong learning. And what we want actually is for people to learn the foundations in a really solid and good way, because once you have those foundations, then that can be ever more refined, no matter what you're doing. And whatever yoga training you had before or whatever yoga training you receive after, it will just be a refining of the foundations of what is yoga and whatnot. And so people can get teacher training certifications through our, 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 our trainings by doing extra work. But really what we're, what we're doing is giving people the experience of what it is to be a practitioner. And everybody has their own mentor and everybody has to have their own personal practice. And you have to really like implement this stuff and in your life and go forward. And I think that that's really a key thing. And then it doesn't matter what you do after that. <laughs> you will be there. You will be the common denominator. And if you are observing yourself and being curious as to like, well, why? Why do I keep having this experience? You. <laughs> it's not It's not bad. It's not. It's just the structure. That's all. So we just work with it. So I'm curious, do you get a lot of students in your trainings that don't have any desire to teach? Yeah. In fact, you, you know, we get both, we get both sides. We get, we get people who are just wanting to go deeper. In fact, that's what we call our program, deepen your yoga. <laughs> and we call it as a practitioner training, you know, it's like deepen your yoga, come and, and understand what are the ideas and, and principles that are, that are the foundation for what you're doing and why. Then here's how to think about practices, et cetera. And then we have people who are really are like, I want to be a teacher and I want to get certified, et cetera. And so I'm, want to, I'm definitely going to do all this. And what I would say is roughly about half of each of the groups switches sides over the course of the training <laughs> because some people that they come in, like I'm going to be a teacher, et cetera, as they get more and more as the yoga works on them more and they have more and more consistent and deep contact with 
their their essence, they realize, oh no, teaching piano is my thing, or like oh, I'm a gardener, or you know, like hey, I'm a salesman. Actually, I'm really good at selling, and that's what I, you know. It's like okay, fine. And you know, other people when they when they go through this process, so they drop out and they they go and do that, right? Or they keep doing the yoga. Well, but that's the effort of where they go. But other people, they are really they find that oh, I'm really enjoying these principles and how they work together, and I really I enjoyed sharing them, and so I would like to do more of that, etc. Like that. So it sounds like the way that you're organization runs is pretty different from the norm. I don't know. I don't know. You know, as a 21-year-old, I met Mr. Deshikichar. And then I started, that was in 1991. And I started teaching in 2003. And uh, I haven't done very few yoga exercises or anything outside of what he was teaching. So I'm just trying to implement what I believe he was teaching, trying to implement what I received from him or through him in that and to pass something on down. And we do get a lot of yoga teacher people who are already certified and already have all the degrees. And they, they're not really looking for any kind of certification or whatever, but they're looking for a trustworthy guide somebody who can be a reflection and a mirror. And I think one of the things that our, our institute does really nicely is we make the ancient texts practical in daily living. You know, for instance, if you take Chitta Vritti Nirodaha as, uh, you know, Patanjali's famous uh, definition of the word yogaha, right? So it's yogaha, Chitta Vritti Nirodaha. So literally this is yoga is the restraint of mental activities. And the main commentary on that text really is emphasizing what happens at the highest level of that. There is a restraint, you know, samadhi, it looks like cessation of the mental activities, et cetera, but it's a very, it's a very um, tight constraint, et cetera. But if we look at restraint of mental activities as it applies to a beginner or to somebody who, who is very much in the world in their in their occupation or relationships, you keep the mind from wandering, right? So you're restraining the mental activities means don't allow them to wander off here or wander off there. It's another way of saying it is have sustained attention. And then you look at the next the next thing, which is that which is literally the then tada avastanam, which is the end word, the establishing of the seer in its own nature. So on some high level, that is the establishing of spirit in its own authenticity and materiality is no longer aware of itself. Like, you know, me, Chase, has a is a material construct and that is no longer there. So at the highest level, that's there. But on a more mundane level, then the establishing of the seer in its own nature, what is the nature of the seer? Seeing. So what is the result of sustained attention? Seeing, i.e. clarity, right? And this is all of our experience. What happens in yoga? Well, 
as we do yoga, we come in towards balance. As we have more balance, we have more sustained attention. As we have more sustained attention, we have a lot more clarity. And we are residing much more in our authenticity and who we are. We make better decisions. We have better boundaries. We have all kinds of things that improve in our life, et cetera. So I think what one of the things that our institute really does nicely is explain what these ancient Indians from, you know, 1700 years ago or a thousand years ago, whatever that, whenever the text we're looking at was using, what they were saying, how that applies to you now in a completely different culture, in a completely different language base and society, et cetera. And how can you translate those principles over here? And so we get a lot of already cert- certified people who are just wanting to have a deepening of who am I again? Why am I doing it? And, you know, in, in our marketing material, I even say, I'm a participant in the training because I am. I'm leading it. All kinds of new stuff comes from me. People share. It's like, oh, wow, look at that. I really believe that God speaks to me through the other participants in the training. And I take seriously what they have to say and their responses and things like that. And it's real big learning for me as well. So it's like, thank you, yoga. Thank you, Mr. Deshikachar, for this gift of lifelong learning. It's just it's stunning. I think that's a beautiful place to wrap up. Is there anything else that you would like to share or reiterate? I mean, I feel like you just summed it up really beautifully, but. <laughs> no, that's nice, nice to me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And, um, you know, you asked fantastic questions and really, really thought provoking. You obviously have a lot of background and experience and, you know, are yourself wrestling with all of these things and as I am you know, with all of these things. And it's, it's super awesome to talk to somebody like that. So thank you. Thank you. If listeners want to find out more about you and your institute and your work, where should they go? Yogawell.com, like a water well, you know, it's yogawell.com. Thank you.